Hello everyone, I hope you're doing well today. Um, this is Rafael Garcia on March 21st, 2019, and I am taping an edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast on the road. I am not in uh, DC or Maryland where I actually live today. I'm not there, but I'm out traveling and there's been a lot to kind of unpack that still needs to be talked about. So I figured it would be a good idea to have a conversation on a couple of different things today and do a show while on the road. Uh, Shawan and I have been out and busy for various reasons. Shawan being the super family man that he is and myself being busy with work and everything else that I do. So uh, we've missed, I think, two weeks worth of shows. Um, even the wrestling podcast, I missed yesterday's um, yesterday's show and yeah i plan on catching that back up at some point in time but even still you know we have a quite a bit to talk about today so i just wanted to kind of hop right into it where first and foremost we i want to talk about the tj Dillashaw news where if before i even do that let me go through the actual welcome and everything so as always welcome to episode 115 of the mma ratings podcast i appreciate your time and listening to us and checking us out today please be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel here. You can catch us at MMARatings.net um, where you can go and read all of our content that we put out on a weekly basis as well as uh, rate the fights and let us know what you thought about the action from bell to bell. And also subscribe to our YouTube channels. You can catch us here at MMA Ratings on YouTube. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MMARatingsNet. And I just want to uh, make sure everyone has an opportunity to do that because we are sharing. We put together a lot of great content between myself, Schwan, Adam Martin, and uh, Michael Ford. We definitely put a lot of great content out there. So I just want to make sure everyone's aware. Uh, and let us know what you all thought about the action. But as I mentioned, I have quite a bit to talk about today, and I want to start off with uh, what occurred with TJ Dillashaw this week. Um, news broke earlier this week, I believe, on Tuesday. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm on vacation, so I may not totally be there on all my dates. But I believe on Tuesday, news broke that he uh, is facing a suspension, uh, I believe, via USADA, and he has already relinquished the title. He put out a um, statement about it, I believe, on social media talking about that moment and before you know we kind of dive into it it's definitely clear that we do not know exactly what it was we don't know um if it was something like a performance enhancer or something that helped him cut weight because uh, as you know he had to make 125 for his last bout against Henry Cejudo there's a lot of questions about what exactly did he fell for and when he was caught and who caught the actual um the failed test so there's going to be a question that will come out over time and also what is his overall punishment because you know how these things go and we can say a year but that could easily be cut down due to some other uh ex ex extenuating circumstances so there's all of that kind of pack but this is an interesting time because it comes at a moment where based on what occurred with uh in the henry Cejudo fight the official idea was that the official idea was that um, they, the UFC was looking at an opportunity to run back the fight between Cejudo and TJ and possibly do it at 125 pounds or 135 pounds with TJ's belt on the line. And a lot of people were like, uh, that doesn't really sit well with us because there's a lot of different things that could happen. 
wait, this situation here opens up the door for those conversations to pick back up because obviously uh, Cejudo's not gonna wanna stay on the shelf for a year. The UFC is gonna need him to continue fighting. They can't, they can't possibly allow uh, a champion to stay on the shelf for a whole year. That, like, that just doesn't work. But it also opens up the flyweight division because there's still no idea what's going on with that group. What? Because we've talked over the last few months about the rumor of that division being folded, especially with uh, DJ being shipped off and Suhudo and, and TJ trying to come down to kill the division, as he said. So it's really kind of open to open to what's going to occur. And it's interesting, man. Even the UFC has already they've already taken TJ Dillashaw off of the rankings, and like he's not even mentioned. Wow, that's that's amazing how quickly they moved there. But with flyweight, you have two men that should possibly be considered as the number one contenders for Henry Cejudo. You have uh, Juicy F. Omega, who's fighting this weekend against um, I had it up. Who was he fighting this weekend? Deviancent Figueroa, who's 15-0 coming into this fight. So Juicy S, who's ranked, uh, for me guys, I will call him, who's ranked number one, is set to face this undefeated prospect who's on a four-fight winning streak in the UFC alone, three of which have come via stoppage. Uh, and, I mean, he has big ones over, over John Moraga as well. So that'll be an interesting fight to watch this weekend. I won't be seeing it because I'll still be traveling, but it'll still be an, an interesting fight to watch. We have Formiga that's fighting this weekend. And then the second-ranked um, guy is Justin Benavides, who has a controversial win over um, Henry Cejudo. So that division right there within itself is, is deep. It's deeper than people really gave it credit for, especially because um, – TJ Demetrius Johnson was running through the group for so many years. So now we have two viable top contenders sitting in a number one and number two position who benefit from the point of TJ not being able to fight and potentially being suspended for a year because now there is a space to say, well, hey, if the UFC isn't folding this division, maybe we should look at what two guys could get a title shot and what they need to do to get there. So that's one side of it. Then you have Bantamweight, 135, where Marlon Morales should be, I mean, he should have already been penciled in for a title fight in some way, shape, or form. When you look at his resume as of late, let's see. Marlon Morales has defeated, let's see, let's see, let's see. And Rafael Sunsell, Jimmy Rivera, Al Jermaine Sterling, and John Dotson. When you look at that four, he's defeated the guy that's ranked number two, three, and I guess Dotson is no longer, Dotson's not ranked 12. But he's already defeated the, the top three, excuse me, top two and three guys. So there's no way anyone can make an argument that, in my opinion, that uh, Marlon Morales is not the number one, not the top contender at this time so there was no telling how long tj was going to be out after losing to henry Cejudo the way he did so this creates an opportunity for 
more or less to automatically be seated in that position to fight for either an interim title or the actual title. Uh, we know the UFC has made interim title fights for lesser reasons. So what's to stop them at this time from making a bout uh, for an actual viable reason of the current champion probably being out for what many people are saying will be a whole year. So there's that aspect of it. But I, and I saw something on yesterday talking about how there should be a tournament around the bantamweight title. I'm just like, ah, I, I, I gotta push back on that because Marlon has already done enough to be considered the, the number one contender. Aljamain Sterling's been talking up a pretty big game lately. He's ranked number three. He's also coming off of a win over Jimmy Rivera his last time out. So he's the one talking and like, saying, like, hey, he should be the next guy um, in the cage. I'm not, I wouldn't be too mad about that. Yeah, uh, Marlon got that quick win over him back in December of 2017. But, you know, things change over to, and I believe Luke Thomas did something on this, and he talked about how rematches in MMA, if they occur within like a two-year time span, they tend to go the same way the first fight did. Um, but that was a pretty flash and violent knockout that Sterling suffered at the hands of Morales back in December of 2017. So I'm hard, I would be hard-pressed to see at the fight with Cole exactly that same way, I would still pick uh, Aljamain, or excuse me, I would still pick Marlon to win that fight just because I'm high on him and I think he's really shown a lot since joining the UFC a few years back. But I definitely think that that is the right way to go. I think that's the way that the um, that the UFC bantamweight division should go without TJ Dillashaw in place. There's an opportunity for multiple guys to get an opportunity here. Like I mentioned, four men within their own right, not including the champion, Henry Cejudo, but you got Formiga, you got Joseph Benavidez, you got Aljamain Sterling. Well, you got those two guys at flyweight, then you got Aljamain Sterling and Marlon Morales at Bantamweight that should all benefit from your situation. And again, as I mentioned, we don't know the details of what's going on with uh, TJ. We could all speculate until we're blue in the face, but we have to let the process as controversial and as questionable as it is run its course to see what he what type of punishment he faces if he faces one at all and how long he'll be out so once that all is, is kind of squares as that squares this way out we should look at the continuing to move these divisions along instead of sitting on them and, and waiting for something to come it's like waiting for this whole situation to play out i think too much time will pass before that's all said and done. But that's the first topic I wanted to talk about. The second one is I wanted to look at this UFC and ESPN Plus deal. That also came out earlier this week. It may have been the same day, but news broke that we are three months into the current UFC deal, UFC and ESPN Plus deal, and we've already seen a big change. And in this change, are a couple of different things. First and foremost, the deal has already been extended for two years, meaning that um, the original, I think it was a five-year deal originally, has now become a seven-year deal, which where the UFC will uh, continue to air on ESPN+. But the big piece of that is that ESPN Plus will become the home of UFC pay-per-views. Now, before you throw your hands up in the air and celebrate, this is not a deal like the WWE Network. It's not the same thing. It, it, what my understanding of this deal is that you will pay for 
you will pay for your ESPN Plus membership um, subscription rate, which I believe is, um, what, I believe is $5. You'll pay for that portion, but on top of that, you will also have to still pay for the, uh, have to still pay for the, like the um and the pay-per-view actually itself when you want to purchase it through ufc through the espn fight pass excuse me i'm, I'm getting everything mixed up through espn plus so what that means they haven't released what the prices will be like or what the bundling options will be and also and this will be interesting because basically what happens is and the way this is kind of being pitched out there is you have to think of it as, as a nightclub you pay a cover to get into the club but then you also got to pay for your food and pay for your drinks or whatever. That's that's the same deal here. So you're paying for an opportunity to buy uh, UFC pay per views, and I think that's that's an odd that's an odd situation. Um, I am a diehard fan of what the WWE has done with their network, and that that base continues to grow year over year, albeit by small numbers, small percentages. It continues to grow. Where I pay nine ninety nine a month, and I get access to all of the current. Um, pay-per-views uh, every month. There's probably like one a month where I get that as a part of my subscription. I, I watch every Sunday. I also get an, a library of all the past events, um, both television shows and um, pay-per-view events. And then the current shows that are airing on television today, I get access to those usually a month in the rear. And all, what's interesting about that is because the Hulu option, which is now available through my Spotify uh, subscription, I get access to the uh, current WWE content on a like day after basis. So I'm basically covered. If I didn't have cable to watch it live, I would be covered to watch it um, basically on, on demand and not miss too much. And I've always wondered why the UFC did not go to a model where they fully embraced something along the same lines. I thought that that's where we were going with Fight Pass. And Fight Pass, in my opinion, is something that is still, to me, it's still valuable because it offers a lot of content outside of UFC. Invicta, for me, I watch Polaris there. I watch Quintet. I watch a lot of grappling there. The EBI events are there. Get a lot of kickboxing events. I think you still get glory there. You get a lot of regional MMA. They haven't been creating as much original content on that platform. I also think that Dana White, the Tinder series, is going over to ESPN+. Plus, so people are going to miss out on that bit as well. But... There's an opportunity here that I think that the, ES, that, that the UFC is trying to take advantage of, but it's not quite fully leveraging. It's not quite fully in the game. And in my opinion, I, right now, I think ESPN Plus is worth the $5, I believe it is, a month. And I expect that price point to go up as well. I definitely expect that price point to go up. And... When it'll happen, I'm not sure. As, as you guys see, the uh, zone price point has gone up as well. They were originally at $9.99, but now they're offering, I think in three, I think in a couple of weeks, the price is going to go from $9.99 to either $99.99 for a whole year or $19.99 per month. Me, honestly, I'm not, I'm not a, a DAZN subscriber. I mean, looking at the $9.99 route, I wish I had subscribed beforehand, but I'm not going to pay 1999 for that because I don't watch that much boxing and there isn't enough 
other content that's on that platform that I'm, I'm willing to um, sit back and watch. Bellator, yeah, of course, but there are other ways to get um, to get to watch Bellator that I'm not going to pay $19.99 per month. I, I'm also still surprised that the zone has not gotten into the professional wrestling space. I think there is an opportunity there as well, especially you see what Fight TV is doing. But I mean, that's neither here nor there. I do expect something. I was expecting something along those lines that happened a long time ago, but that's another conversation for another day. But there's so many different questions around what's going on with UFC and uh, this ESPN Plus deal that I think we are not, well, I don't think we're going to get answers to, and I don't think we're going to get answers to anytime soon. Like on one, on one aspect of it, you have to wonder what is the financial impact to this organization. When you look at their pay-per-view numbers, they were over the last year, I mean, over the last years, they've definitely been dropping. People are not purchasing as much. They're not getting as, new, as many new viewers, which is understandable because of the difference of the different ways people are able to watch content and the um, availability to find content rather than paying $60, $70 for a pay-per-view. I can't remember. Oh, actually, I can remember. It's been almost three years since I've paid for one out of my own pocket. And, you know, that, that's something I will probably never do again. But you have to wonder, I'm sure when they began talking about this deal, someone looked at the numbers financially and from a rating standpoint, and crushed them together and said, okay, well, we can do this to help mitigate our dropping pay-per-view numbers and still see a profit in X, Y, and Z ways. Because if you saw some of the press releases from ESPN after that first event was on ESPN+, Plus, they were touting such growth. I want to say it was almost 700,000 new subscribers, something ridiculous. They were touting a lot of growth, and a lot of that was being attributed directly to UFC being available on that platform and bringing over those fans that were originally on Fox, originally on Fight Pass, bringing them over to their new platform. And I mean, right now it seems like it seems like obviously if they're making this deal and they're, and they're throwing their name in the hat, or excuse me, they're throwing their money behind the UFC for two more years, there is some value in this conversation. And it's some value in that continued partnership. I just think that it's, it'll be interesting to see what those numbers are like. The UFC really doesn't um, provide much information into their um, financial uh, stances or in their in, in their overall ratings or revenue. They really don't provide too much information. They're not too public about that. But it'll be also be interesting to see if any of this money positively impacts fighters as well. Me personally. I don't think so. We've seen so many different developments in the sport, and very few have impacted the fighters directly. Uh, and as you, I mean, what, why, like, what incentive does the UFC have today, right this moment, to uh, bigger piece of the pot? They don't have any um, at all. So. They don't have any at all, so there, there isn't an opportunity to look and see how that is going to really play out. There really isn't any opportunity to see how that, how that really is going to um, play out. So again, as I said, I don't expect it, I don't expect the fighters to get any real benefits from this uh, this development. I expect the organization itself to see some financial. Uh, gain, obviously, because that they wouldn't have made the deal without um, without that in place.
But we'll just kind of see how that situation plays itself out. But I think it is, in my opinion, the, e the ESPN Plus um, partnership with UFC has been positive. Um, the Showtimes has been a great benefit just to, as a quality of life aspect, as being a fan. You know, I also watch and cover these events for Fight Metric where I have to be at the event from start to finish. And in the past, we would be there for almost until like one, two o'clock on a regular basis when it was just, it was not necessary. You could see that these cards are being stretched out for no, no reason. I mean, it was, it was the most agonizing thing ever, but now these fights are being sped along at such a rate that it's amazing. Uh, this past weekend, I worked at an event that I believe was over by eight o'clock. I'm sitting, I was expecting it to be over by 10 and I was happy with that. I was, I was thinking that that was going to be a positive change to me, like 10 o'clock. Well, I'm home by 10. This is awesome. I got home by 8.30 and I was like, this is, this is, I don't even know what to do with myself. So I had a whole day to myself to prepare for my vacation, which I've been enjoying, but that isn't, that, that's neither here nor there. So, um, I'm looking forward to seeing and reading up more about this deal and seeing what else comes out from it and how it impacts the fighters. Remember, the UFC on Fox deal got off to a very good start at the, at, at the front end, but then it tapered off and got bad as things went on. So I'm interested to see what ESPN and the UFC have in mind to keep this partnership running positively from start to finish over the next, I believe, seven years now. So the next news piece I wanted to talk about came out today, I believe, where Rafael Dos Santos and Kevin Lee are going to fight at welterweight. Um, I'm not sure when that is. Uh, let me check because that has escaped me. I wrote it down when that fight card is supposed to be in May uh, at UFC Rochester in New York on May 18th. And Let's see. So that fight pits two welterweights together, and Javier Desanos, who's ranked number four in the division, is facing off against Kevin Lee, who's ranked number five as a lightweight. So Kevin Lee is making his welterweight debut, and this is important because Kevin Lee has been open talking about wanting to fight at 165, which is a division that it doesn't seem like the UFC is going to create at any point in time. So he's moving up to face off against Dos Anjos. And this is an important win or an important fight for both men because Dos Anjos is riding a two-fight losing streak, I think, to Kobe and Usman. Yeah, he's riding a two-fight losing streak to Kobe and Kamara Usman. And since moving up to 170 and beating Tarek Safadine, Neil Magny, and Robbie Lawler, he's looked like a Gatekeeper to the stars. Covington and Usman have both gone on to fight him in title fights, one being the interim and one being the actual title, and have had belts put around their waist. So for Lee, there's a lot on the line here that if he gets this win, he can say that, hey, I'm I'm already beating the uh, big names and kind of and he can insert himself into this welterweight title picture that's already, that's getting interesting more and more by the day with Tyron Woodley, I already mentioned Kobe Covington, that's Stephen Thompson who's fighting this weekend, Rafael Dos Anjos, Jorge Masvidal, who had a big win over Darren Till, can't forget about Ben Askren, and, and even though he hasn't fought in a while, uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio is still there, Leon Edwards, he also got a big win this weekend, and, and oddly enough, didn't move up the rankings at all, but that's still neither here nor there. So you have this welterweight division that's getting very, very thick, 
at the at the top. So you have to wonder how is this really going to play out if Lee comes in and inserts himself in a way that gets a win over Rafael dos Anjos. Where would you even put him in that top ten, or is that a big enough win anymore to be automatically included in the top ten? There's a lot of questions there that we're going to have to kind of see and and let play out because uh, th like that division is getting is getting stacked and is getting more and more interesting day by day. My opinion, lightweight had overtaken it as the most interesting group in the sport, but right now, Walter is calling his way back with a lot of intriguing matchups that I'm looking forward to uh, seeing. I just wanted to mention that fight. I'm sure if Shawan was here, he would have a lot more to break down. I wouldn't be surprised if he would pick, uh, if he would be willing to pick Kevin Lee in that fight, but we'll talk about that as the fight gets closer and, and at a later date. And speaking of fights, I already mentioned one uh, for this weekend at UFC Fight Night 148, where Stephen Thompson and Anthony Pettis are fighting in the main event, where Pettis is moving up to 170. I think that this is a very bad fight for him. Um, Thompson is going to be the much bigger man, and I think that Pettis's striking style plays into Thompson's strength of counter of of counter shotting. Anthony Pettis is coming off of a lot of damage. Let's see the last time. Let me just make sure. On this beat there. Yeah. So the last time Pettis fought was against Tony Ferguson. Um, he defeated Michael Chiesa. Months before that, he also lost to Dustin Poirier, Max Holloway, and he has a couple other losses in there as well, too. But, man, he's he's been involved in some very violent fights, for lack of a better term. And we know that that's just how he fights. I mean, he, he lost to Tony Ferguson by his corner stop, which I believe he broke his hand. And even in those two rounds, it was a fight of the night. So there's going to be a lot of questions about what shape he's in when um, – when it matters the most. There's going to be a lot of questions about what shape he's in and, and how will he look at 170 pounds. I remember this is the same guy who did so, and let me see how long ago he did that. He moved down to featherweight and fought Charles Oliveira in 2016, missed weight the next time when he was supposed to fight for the interim featherweight title uh, later on that month and then moved back up to lightweight. So if he was small, if he was a small enough lightweight to make 145, is he going to be a big enough lightweight to look good at 170? It, I, I'll equate it to Paul Felder when he just fought Mike Perry a couple months back uh, last year. And he took that fight on a last minute notice to kind of keep himself active and keep himself on the card. But that fight, I mean... fight didn't go well for him at all. He, he didn't get stopped, did he? No, he um, lost a split decision. And that was against Mike Perry, who was a borderline name at 170. He's not even ranked. So if Felder struggled to face Perry, a lot of that was due to like like the size issues there. I wonder how uh, Pettis is going to look facing off against um, Stephen Thompson. I expect Stephen Thompson to be able to use his range, his footwork, and his counter striking to get that win because I don't I, I don't think Pettis being able, will be able to – their striking styles are too different, and I believe that the style that Pettis uses plays more into Thompson's hands than vice versa. 
what else did I want to talk about from this card? Um, I wanted to talk about, uh, for me, guys, I mentioned this is a big fight for him, facing off against an undefeated fighter who's 4-0 in uh, Davidson. Is that how you say his name? Davison Figueroa, I guess that's how you say his name, but he's facing off against Formiga in, on the main card in a fight that I think that will set up a top contender for that uh, flyweight title. If Formiga wins, I don't see any way that he is not considered the number one contender. If Figueroa gets the win, I would expect him to go with Benavidez first if they do keep that division alive. Um, but I think there's a lot of opportunity there for both of those men. Uh, I'm not interested in the Kurt Curtis way Justin Willis fight, just not interested at all. You have Marlon Vera versus Frankie Steins. Uh, I'm not too familiar with what either one of these guys have been doing recently. Vera's on a two-fight, one streak, and Signs is on a two-fight, one streak as well. And neither one of them are that highly ranked in the bantamweight division, so I just I haven't really been following either one of them. We're looking at neither one of them are ranked at all, at all, in the um, bantamweight division, and they are the co-main event. So that's little odd to me. Let me see. Yeah, neither one of my rank, but they're coming in advance, so that's neither here nor there. But um, Macy Barber is someone who I'm interested in seeing how she's doing because obviously, you know, she's being pushed as an interesting name to watch in women's MMA. She just defeated Hannah Seifers a couple months back in November. Uh, she had a win over Jamie Colleen at Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. She's fighting 7-2 J.J. Aldrich, who I don't think is a is a tough out in any way, shape, or form. She's also riding a two-fight win streak. With, um, she's won three straight in the UFC since joining the organization in 2016. Who wins over Polly, uh, Pollyanna Viana back in August, Daniel Taylor back in January of last year, and Chami Jeong back in June of 2017. So I think that that is a very important fight to watch there because uh we have kind of we have it's an important fight to watch because i think macy barber is being positioned for something big at 115 especially as other individuals who were kind of being slotted in that same way by the ufc have fallen off for personal reasons and then i you also have john mcdessey uh who is quietly riding a two-fight win streak of his own um He's riding a two-fight win streak of his own. And I, I often forget about John McDessie. You know, he's just been out there. He's 33 years old, doing the damn thing. And you just forget about this guy. He has wins over Abel Trujillo and Ross Pearson, both one fight in 2017 and one fight in 2018. But, I mean, he's still sticking around. And he's only lost two – oh, actually, no, he's done one But he's been with the UFC since 2010. So he's coming up almost on 10 years. Oh, coming up on nine in, in December. He's pushing towards 10. But with a two-five win streak um, on his resume, he might get to that ten-year mark, and this is a good opportunity for him to stay uh, relevant. Is he? I don't think he's ranked at one fifty-five. He is not, so it's an opportunity to kind of to push his way into that group as well. Um, let's see. And I also wanted to talk about Angela Hill. As you know, me and Shawn often get about get into arguments about her every time she comes up for a fight, but she's fighting. Brandon Marcos, and this is probably a loser leaves town fight because Hill is, since coming back to the UFC in 26-17, she's traded wins and losses uh, with wins over Ashley Yoder and Marina Morales while losing to Jessica Andrade, Nina Ansaroff, and Courtney Casey. And her losses have been not stunning losses. Like, even the Andrade fight, she 
Hey Tough, she hung tough with her for much of that contest there. And now she's fighting against um, uh, Randa Marcos, who's been struggling on her own. She drew against uh, Marina Rodriguez back in September, lost to Nina Ansaroff as well before that. And um, she's just been trading wins and losses. She's been in the UFC since 2014. And she's literally traded wins and losses every time out with losses to Jessica Penney, uh, Carolina Kowalskowitz, Courtney Casey, uh, Alexa Grasso, and Nina Ansaroff while defeating Aslin Daly, Jocelyn Jones-Lyberger, Carla Esparza, and a split decision there, and Juliana Lima. So a, a bunch of back and forth. I'm sure that Shawan will be picking Marcos in this fight if he was here on the show to talk to me about it. But I mean, you know, this is not it. So I'm, I'm as always, rooting for Angela Hill because she's one of the few African-American women on the, in, in, in the UFC and on their, um, on their roster. But with that in mind, I'm going to go ahead and um, kind of close out this week's show because I don't want to, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm on vacation and I don't want to spend too much time talking about mixed martial arts this week. But as always, you know, uh, there is a lot of content to go and look at over at MMARatings.net. There's a piece about Darren Till. I just put up Adam Martin and I have been putting up some pretty good content going back to last week's uh, fight and looking forward to this week's um, action. As always, you can find our, our work there at MMARatings.net. Be sure to go up there and rate the fights. Let us know how much you're anticipating them and um, or you know, what you think about the fights after they've ended. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at rgarcia underscore sports to catch all of my content there. I'm talking mostly about professional wrestling, mixed martial arts, um, other sports, and, and basically just about anything, social activism, anything and everything in, in between. So if you believe that, if you believe, if you are opposed to the scene of Black Lives Matter, you probably don't want to follow me, as I always say. But that's neither here nor there. With that in mind, let's go ahead and close out this week's show. We kept it short for about half an hour. If Shawan was here, we'd probably be still be arguing about some of the news from earlier. But that's that, that we'll be back at that next week. In, in any case, I thank you all for all you're doing and for following us. Please be sure to give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at MMARainsNet. Catch us on YouTube and, and subscribe to our show and share our content. And as always, have a great day.